Welcome to Talkie Talk. <laughs> Edward singing. Welcome to Talkie Talk, a podcast for the media by us.com. Joining me today is TJ. Yep. Chris. Hello. And I got myself a brand. Hi. And on today's, oh, I'm David. <laughs> and on today's podcast, we're going to be talking about Christopher Nolan's feature length directorial debut following. Followed by a directorial debut draft. We're going to draft uh, directorial debuts. But first, following. TJ, want to kick us off since it's your homework? Uh, yeah, following is a 1998 movie. It's uh, shot in, I think, 16mm, black and white. Pretty much the cheapest thing Nolan could find at the time. Uh, but it's a little mystery, neo noir movie. Four characters. Named what are they? The the young man, the blonde, the blonde, the man in the suit, and the bald man. Cobb. Yeah. Who is the name Cobb? Yeah, he's, well, he's, but he's not. That's um, not his name, right? Yeah. He's credited as the man in the suit. Disagree. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a long podcast. <laughs> um, it's possibly longer than the movie following. I don't know yeah. how. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> it's going to be close. Um, I don't know how much I want to go into the plot in this opening little thing, but pretty much there's a, a guy who's kind of neurotic, uh, unemployed, kind of a little weirdo who gets obsessed with following people, just random people he finds on the street. He sets himself up with a few rules, which he quickly breaks, one of which is never follow the same person twice, and when he breaks that rule, he ends up uh, following a guy who catches on, notices he's being followed, that is the man in the suit. The guy doing the following is the young man. And uh, the man in the suit ends up uh, kind of telling him that he breaks into houses. He's a burglar. Uh, and while he does steal stuff, that's not the point. The point is kind of meta. And like waking people up, bringing them back, showing them what they have. Yeah. Um, so like, <clears throat> disrupting things, doing things like hiding underwear that he brought from another house in the hamper. Or taking only one earring. Or yeah, he violates know, people and their yeah, personal space. Yeah, um, and it kind of kind of takes off from there. Uh, you find out a lot more going on uh, at the end. And maybe we can talk about that as a group as we go. Yeah, and before you get to the end, it has uh, what would be in the next couple of Christopher Nolan's films a signature move of a uh, unreliable like narrative pace. Because you have kind of a split like storyline from the man as he's following the man in the suit, shadowing him for what he's writing, and then a different perspective of him after he's shaved, cut his hair, and has distanced himself from the man in the suit. There's also like a third uh, narrative thing that goes through of when he's clean shaven, he gets uh, beat up, and you see like scars and bruises and stuff on his face that aren't explained until later. So I'd say, well, it's this the same, like, you know, he's clean-shaven, the same track. It's kind of a third piece that picks up and drops off. Yeah, the one thing I did notice, too, before we get into the, the storytelling aspect of the movie, which is by far the best part of the film, I think, um, I did pick up on, like, it is very early, fun to see early Nolan with the, uh, like, chronological jumps. Yeah. Because I started thinking about it, and while he obviously does that in movies like Memento and The Prestige, he does it in, like, Batman Begins, and he Dunkirk. does it in Interstellar, he does it in Dunkirk, 
that he loves that. Yeah, he likes playing with time. Yeah. Yeah, you can definitely see how Memento is a more polished, refined take of on the same type of storytelling, where mm-hmm. it's like telling things in a confusing way, for mm-hmm. at least a disorienting way, um, chronologically speaking. Yeah, we kind of talked about Memento in our non-linear uh, narrative podcast. Check it out. It's podcast number blue. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is a definitely a proto-Memento, and it's also... Um, you're fine. Similar to Memento, where the nonlinear structure is part of a character thing, I think it is here too for like the con man kind of noir uh, element of the story. But the breaks with the narrative come kind of come out of the genre rather than just uh, as a flourish. Yeah, I did have a lot of respect just touching on this because I know we're not really not a topic podcast, so we're not going to get to talk about directorial debuts and what they mean and like foreshadowing people but I, I had a lot of respect for him like knowing he couldn't afford lighting yeah and uh produced the movie pretty much himself with his wife and the guy the lead actor mm. um and like percentage wise the movie made a ton of money I mean mm. six thousand dollars is what they put in on it and it made like 250 did anyone uh so this I watched this on Filmstruck I think it was available on a uh, movie as well <laughs> movie but did anyone watch the uh interview with Chris Nolan about the movie? I didn't. As part of the Criterion or film story. Yeah, I want to check it out. I just didn't. He actually, yeah, he touches on like the, you know, it was so cheap so they had to do like black and white because they couldn't afford what the color was going to look like with the lighting. Right. And they also, every single scene is basically shot near a window. Yeah. (laughs) You had to use like natural light. London, foggy, you know, daylight as uh, as the lighting for all the stuff. Yeah, and like friends' apartments was yeah. all the settings. Yeah. They like insanely rehearsed every scene so he could. They shot he said like fifteen minutes a day for six months. Yeah. He also said something that he ended up doing like on Dark Knight too is they would do what he calls dry takes. Is they would film the scene with everything, and then just in case uh, the like the sound was bad or to cross cut with other scenes, they would. Uh, Shoot, like run the scene again not run the camera but just run the microphone you know from the camera rig so he could like cut that in or uh, nice. do another thing he said was like something he uses in a bunch of movies I hadn't really thought about is cross cutting in, in the middle of dialogue between things that are happening when you think of like uh, Commissioner Gordon's speech about you know he's not the hero the city needs but the you know the one it wants deserves, right now yeah. deserves right now that's cross-cut with him you know, going on this little bat cycle and all that stuff. Yeah. And you see that in Prestige and a whole bunch of uh, other stuff, too. Yeah. Um, I guess to, to kind of move the movie on, you end up... The main character, the young man, ends up falling for this girl in a bar uh, after breaking into her house with the man in the suit. And um, falls for her, and you end up figuring out that the man in the suit and the blonde... Are in cahoots. Yeah, and um, the young man has been a mark. Yeah, uh, and they execute their well. The man in the suit executes his plan to perfection, pretty much. There's a, another double cross late in the movie, right? Where he ends up murdering the blonde and keeping a bunch of money from the bald man, who's a gangster, essentially a, a big gangster. Yeah. Um, I thought that was all done really well. Yeah, the final twist. Yeah, the twist where were executed well for 
such a low budget movie with a bunch of people that have never really done film before. Yeah, and just this is a brief aside. I also thought the acting was surprisingly good for lots of first forays. Yeah. Um, there was a quote by somebody, some British film critic who I'd heard of, I can't find it now, but he uh, pretty much on his review of the movie was like, it's weird for me to say this, but these people should probably quit their day jobs. Like, they're really good. Yeah. <laughs> for a it, first go. Including Christopher Nolan, probably. Right. But yeah, I thought that, that that twist was really well put together. They didn't. It didn't seem like they needed to do much, like explaining backwards. Um, this is the way that he crosscuts. Is they crosscut the interview with uh, the cop who was played by John Nolan, who I'm assuming is Christopher Nolan's father. Looked like his dad. Um, so they crosscut it with that with uh, the man in the suit um, killing, presumably killing uh, the the blonde woman with the hammer that he used. To beat up the thug in the bald man's basement. It's his uncle. Okay. Um, yeah, a bunch of those people are in Batman Begins, too. The blonde is, the lead is, the uncle is. Is the blonde just like a background actor in the party? She's one of the Bruce Wayne girls. Okay. I think. When he like comes comes out the helicopter. Or like out of the Lambo or whatever. Yeah. Lambo! <laughs> Lambo. <laughs> Weird. I thought the all the actors were pretty bad. It felt really mm. student film acting to me, especially like uh, I thought the lead guy was pretty terrible. I thought he was great. I thought him like uh, trying to well maybe it's just like he's not a good deceptive person, but him like talking about the burglary with the blonde. Obviously he pulled off the burglary. He's like really that that happened. Wow. I thought it was real. Uh, shaky, but maybe that was part of it. Yeah, I kind of took that as a because uh, I did find that kind of hard to believe when you find out that she doesn't care the whole time. Mm-hmm. You know, it made more sense to me. I mean, he's super neurotic. As far as the acting goes, I kind of thought I, I think I'm somewhere in the middle between you, two, the two of you at least, because it's like I thought it was better than it should have been for what was basically a student film. Yeah, and that's... Yeah, I said it was really good. I want to couch that in. I started by saying I was surprised that it was really good. Like, it's the... the, It was more remarkable that it was at all decent. Passable. Yeah. 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 At the same time, I watched the movie... You don't even have to like read about it or look it up. Just be like, oh, these are not these are not actors. Yeah, like these are right. just, they're student actors. Mm-hmm. And you, I think that came off in the movie. And it's in, in a similar way to like Clerks to me, the way Clerks kind of felt, uh, which was I don't know they had the same vibe. Maybe it's the black and white. I don't know. But you've uh, also got a really hard audience here to talk about anything related to Clerks. Yeah, true. <laughs> I think the three of us are all pretty. I'm like, uh, compare this movie to <laughs> same with like Pie directorial debut. It's been a while since I've seen it. It's yeah. like that. Like yeah. besides the lead character who's created like going insane, everyone is kind of like just one noting all their performances. The more monotone performance from so, those yeah. kind of movies. So here's the thing though: this movie felt more like a movie that he wanted to make that way. Like he wanted the characters to be that, and it, it just felt more like it was. Not something he was dealing with, but something he built a movie around. Yeah. Does I that mean, make sense? Yeah, because I, I think about the individual performances, 
the man in the suit is a con man, right? He's he's a lizard to a T, where he's just trying to deceive people, make money, do whatever. He's actively trying to disrupt people's lives, and then is surprised at how easily he can do it with the young man, because the young man has no personality. He's completely de- he's he's a an unmolded cube of clay, because the moment that the man in the suit says. You know, you don't have to, like, you can be a burglar and not look like a fucking burglar. Get a haircut. You know, shave your face. He's playing him. Yeah. He, he goes home, does it immediately, then calls him and says, I took your advice. And the man in the suit's like, what? Really? Yeah. You did that? Like, is surprised. Because he's, he is without his own affect. Mm-hmm. And the man in the suit is just one, like, 100% charisma. So he's over the top and the other one's way under, under personality. And the blonde is supposed to be the... I don't know. Sexy ingenue. Yeah, and she wasn't great. I mean, she was far worse than the two guys, I thought. <clears throat> and the bald man really doesn't do much. So. Um, the parts I didn't like, the what came across as like, oh, you're trying to get a little too creative for your own good, was a lot of the score and the way it was used yeah. felt a little like condensation falling down a window student film. I mean, it was just like really high-pitched, a little too loud. Like, wee. It's like, why is this? Why? Yeah, the, 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 it's like the percussion right there. Yeah, <clears throat> the score that kind of comes across when they're invading—not invading, but when they are burgling their first flat—and the young couple comes home in the middle of it. It's just like a bunch of like tense drums that sounds like Chris Nolan put together himself. Yeah, in a basement with a microphone. He probably did. <laughs> Wouldn't be surprised. No. Yeah. I just want to introduce him earlier to Hans Zimmer. <laughs> Everyone's life is better with Hans Zimmer. That way, every time anything happens in the movie, they can just say, <laughs> That'll be easy to take out. <laughs> he doesn't always brawn. And comes for no one's movies. But yeah. Did yeah. you, what did you think of the movie? Like, what, yeah, did y'all like it? Yeah. Um, had, first off, had any of you seen it before? No. No. So no. this was rewatched for only me. Right. Right. It's been in the Netflix queue for a while. My Netflix queue. Yeah. Or my, my list. <laughs> what? what? DJ, okay? did you like it? Uh, yeah, it's like binary answers are my only options, then yes. They're not. I mean, it was pretty good. Sorry, that was a weird, the way you phrased it felt yeah. different than the normal question. He was just trying to get his question across <laughs> from David going, my Netflix queue. <laughs> 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 Brent's trying to con you right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a. I didn't rate it on Letterboxd because I, I don't rate homework initially on there, but probably like three and a half stars. Okay, that's four, pretty good. Four stars, maybe. Well liked. Yeah. What about you, David? I, d- I didn't really like it. I thought it was more interesting than it was good. I can see it's that. Kind of just like uh, history of Christopher Nolan and like, uh, I guess, English indie movies in the late 90s. But uh, I probably wouldn't recommend anybody really see it. Yeah, to me it kind of felt the same as uh, as it did the first time, which I kind of always felt... To me, following has always just been a rough draft that Memento wound up being the... Obviously, they're different movies and they're different stories, but you can definitely see the yeah. line from one to the other. And uh, following feels very much like a rough draft, like a practice shot uh, edit to, uh, of sorts, and Memento is, is just perfected version yeah and in that same token like a rough draft for a five star film is pretty good well, yeah I mean maybe it just it's, means it's a rough draft it's just I, for me it's I, I don't dislike following I just there's 
Mm-hmm. I don't really mm-hmm. like a lot about it. it it's makes, kind of middle of the road for me. I'll give it. It makes me want to see Memento. I mean, if that if that's the recommendation, then sure. Have you seen? Memento? I love Memento. Oh, okay. Yeah, it makes me want to see it again. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, I liked the movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's it is an odd take to find a movie interesting and bad at the same time. That's interesting. Yeah, well, that's pretty common. Well, for you. <laughs> I'm saying it's interesting. You, David, you're taking a very film scholar approach to it. Yeah, I'm saying that there aren't any off the top of my head movies that I would call interesting and bad. I thought it was kind of boring. I think it's more interesting to read about it and watch the interview than it was to do the hour movie. I think it's you want to decent. Elaborate? <laughs> Sorry, I'm just I'm just curious. Yeah, just you know, curious. The six thousand dollar budget's pretty interesting. And, uh, you know, how they did the, the lighting and kind of the beginning of all of uh, Christopher Nolan's techniques and ticks that, you know, you'll see better everywhere else in mm-hmm. his oeuvre. Um, but, yeah, I just thought it was kind of slow. Even for an hour, I thought it felt pretty long. Pretty yeah. uh, navel-gazy a little bit. There's right. definitely, I think, a point where it starts to drag about, like, 30, 40 minutes in. And I... Did not remember that the first time. Maybe it's, maybe it's because I knew all the twists. Maybe. And on a rewatch, it's just sort of a... I think you can... For myself, I think you can see a lot of this stuff coming. And I think that's the, the point of the movie is the, the twists and the cons. It's, it's like, like any con man movie or anything like that. And it's just, it's, you know, it's the function of this kind of format where we're all discussing and dissecting it. Mm-hmm. You know. If if I just had watched it and uh, you know like before the podcast and just didn't tell anybody about it, I'd go. Huh. <laughs> but we're talking about it. Yeah. No, I mean I, I'm not. I don't, I don't know. It's you're not saying his opinion's invalid. No, I just don't. Uh, I guess the saying that? saying you can see stuff coming is kind of what I want you to say. But like mm-hmm. all I know is that the movie's boring and I don't really know why. From y'all two, like I don't know why drug. I, I also from anybody. Yeah, I'm just curious because it didn't to me. I thought it was tight and swift and pretty well paced. I mean, again, the movie had like glaring mistakes. I think those are. I think those are kind of obvious, but they aren't anything that would make the movie what I would call boring. I suppose. So, I think like any specifics. I guess is what, I think sorry, you're dragging on the question. once you know the plot, you're not you're not watching for the plot anymore on a rewatch. Because, like, you would any movie. like Sure, I mean, yeah, that makes sense. Pulp Fiction's boring, more boring the second time you watch it than it is the first time you watch it. Mm-hmm. I, 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 don't, I don't put myself in the camp of interesting but not very good. I liked it um, and found it interesting, but I also agree that it was a little boring in that, like, right around the 30-minute mark. And for me, it was that I think it was a failure to execute suspense during the actual, like, safe-cracking part. It's the whole movie is is low lit with very little score, and the score that is in there is pretty overdone. Mm-hmm. And so then, when he's in pulling the money out of the safe and encounters the thug, it doesn't really, it didn't really add any extra emotion to me. It felt more like playing through someone's memories than it did action that is happening on the screen. So from that point where he's like <clears throat> executing that final burglary, that is like the number one rule against. That part felt a little flat for for me, and then it got interesting again once it was revealed that he was getting double played, and so was the blonde. Yeah, I guess that's what 
I saw it as. I totally see what you're saying. That makes a lot of sense. But I was like, I guess I saw it as like, why isn't this the payoff? This doesn't feel like the payoff. Right. And it's because it's not, I guess. Yeah, but I, yeah. I mean, the way I sure. saw it. Anyway. I think there's, the, the, yeah. I would have liked them to marry that a little bit more. Sure. Yeah, yeah it's definitely it, something that happens in somebody who had made a movie before, I guess. Yeah, and for sense. me, and for me, there's, once you, once you know how, once you know where that's going, it's not as gripping Oh sure, Just I get that. that 100%. Like, yeah, any, I mean yeah. any any movie that's a mystery, I guess the second time through is going to be a little yeah. Different. But I think if it's well done enough, there you can watch for other stuff. Yeah, that doesn't yeah. exist in this like, movie. Like, you can yeah. you can rewatch The Sixth Sense and it's still a great movie, but it's hard to watch like The Village and it pay off as well if you know like oh none of this is real, all the stakes are minimal, and they're all like playing like they're all larping. It's a good comparison I guess you know and part of the thing for me you're just trying to diagnose why it didn't you know flick my bean (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna send you to podcast camp (laughs) you've forgotten Um, it's like you know there's proto elements of Memento and a bunch of his films in here there's also like a early shortcoming for me of some Nolan stuff of he's pretty tactical clinical and he's like a formalist right but he's never been a humanist, where his, his characters feel like people, or they feel warm, or they feel charismatic, or they feel like like you care that much about them. Now, I love a lot of his films, but a lot of them aren't that really concerned with the uh, acting or the characters' motivations that much. So with me you know, only having, like let's say, three characters, me being disengaged from all of them, there's no weight to any of the betrayals or the double crosses or anything for me. What? Uh, and being disengaged from like the you know, acting style, which is just like a you know, can can hit you mm-hmm. e- either way. I'm curious. Out of you've seen most or all Nolan films, uh, do you think the there's a movie of his where he does the best job of providing humanity to characters? I've got, I, I've got one. I'm I might pick Batman Begins. <laughs> Oddly, I, enough. I think it's definitely. Inception for me. Hmm. See, a lot of it, and I love Inception, but a lot of it's kind of cool guys doing shit. And it's a background of like dead wife kids that is just more of a checklist mm-hmm. sometimes. And that, you know, in hindsight, I love that movie. But I just, you know, I don't come to it for the characters as much. I do love Tom Hardy and like some of the characters in there are interesting. I'd probably say Memento is probably the, the best. In my opinion, just because the um, Lester, what's his name, Leonard? Yeah. The Leonard character, it's more of a character study than a lot of his other movies, Mm -hmm. where you get, uh, even though he's unreliable, you kind of get to know him the best, I think, of any known character. And his two emotions, panicked and calm. Yeah, I feel invested in him at all, though. That's really all it is, because he he goes from, like, a, a, a sleepwalking state of constant forgetting to realizing that he's given himself clues to figure out what's happening so it's just a like a tidal pool of awareness and unawareness awareness and unawareness i don't find that you can really build with him as much you just become more knowledgeable about how difficult his life is but he's completely unaware of it and also at the end one of the most dastardly elements of his entire life I don't know. I I I I reject the the memento claim. Still love the movie. Agree with you entirely that Nolan's best beats are not normally in character development. Yes, and that with the Batman movies, I don't necessarily see that as a flaw. 
because that's all performance based because the characters are developed. He has kind of a shorthand for right. it. Um, and I do think in Inception, cool guys doing cool shit is the dominating factor of what makes that movie a great film. And the special effects are phenomenal in that movie. But sure. like the scene in the hotel with DiCaprio and Marion Cotillard, and then everything with DiCaprio's character yeah. after that is so heartbreaking for that character. I think that to me, I think that DiCaprio, DiCaprio's character, Marion Cotillard, Killian Murphy, and Ken Watanabe, those are the four characters who I think get truly developed. Like the Jogo Labs, Tom Hardy, Ellen Page, those characters. You're right. They're just like. Eh, you're right. flat. You're cool. You're the architect. You're the good old Nolan being able to get great actors to do bit roles. Yeah, I think it may be possible to think a couple things about a movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out, I think, I think that's why there's four of us here, not just one. Um, Where would you rank following in your uh, Nolan pentology Pantheon. Pantheon. Yeah. There we go. Just above Insomnia for me, and so second to last, I think. Yeah, I would need to rewatch Insomnia. It's I the think fact that it's forgettable is, is the reason why it's just... I've seen it three times and I still can't tell you the details. Yeah, I think I might put following last, but... He's probably got... He's up there with like Tarantino and just the highest average grade for movies, though. I bet. Yeah, this is... I, I mean, mean, he's IMDb's greatest director of all time, but that's IMDb fanboys. I'm trying to separate myself from that a lot because Nolan is liked by a lot of... You know... Yeah. Chodes, I'll yeah. say. <laughs> Sorry, I was pointing at the word doodlebug. <laughs> doodlebug. I saw that. It's also like in the links on Filmstruck, you can see it's like three minute short film. Cool. It's got the same actor in it. I watched it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it's it, it like if this, I had a problem with this being student <laughs> film sometimes. That one's very student that film. That is <laughs> the classic student film. Yeah. Is it, is it last for you, David, on your Nolan rankings, you think? Yeah, but it's probably by a farther rank than, than you guys. Right. And the yeah, Insomnia, probably the lowest after that. Yeah. Maybe uh, Dark Knight Rises or Prestige. I'm not a huge Prestige head like a lot of people. I love Prestige. It's been a long time. It'd be time hard for me to prestige. finish that list out. Yeah. There's a yeah. lot of those that are equal for me. Like, There's a chance it's like Dunkirk, which is crazy. Yeah, there's a chance for me it's like Dark Knight, Dunkirk, Interstellar as like a... Triumvirate up top. I might have Interstellar next, probably, followed by Dark Knight Rises. And then it gets even harder. And, and, and Inter- bottom up. Yeah. Yeah. Interstellar, I think, is just so delightfully ambitious compared to what he was doing. Is like dark, gritty, like in in town urban thrillers, and then like I'm gonna write a space opera. Yeah, there were a lot of people at the time I remember that wanted there to be backlash with Inception and it was just too good to have it. But people were pissed that he wasn't making he just made the Dark Knight. Yeah. You know? Like, or he just not? made Batman Begins. Dark Knight. Dark Knight. They're like, why not more Batman right now? Yeah. It's like, do Batman now. And so, I mean, that was a that was a ballsy order for him to go do his own thing. But It's Batman Begins, Prestige, Dark Knight, Inception, Dark Knight Rises. It's the release nice. schedule. Yeah, my top three is probably... Uh, Batman, Batman, Batman. <laughs> no, Dark Knight, probably Inception and Memento. And then after that, like, Dunkirk... Some other stuff. It's a good filmography when Dunkirk's your fourth because you love that movie. <laughs> I do think Batman Begins is generally underrated. I really, really like it. I think that the movie. only thing it's missing from Dark Knight is the dominating performance of Hugh Pledger. It, but other than that, it's about... Because it's the game. one movie that's about Batman. Yeah. And the other movies are about the villains, more, more or less. They yeah. have the story and Batman just reacts to them. Well, yeah. I mean, that makes sense because the second movie is about two morally great characters... Except one of them is Batman. Yeah. The other one's Two-Face. 
Just just a quick question, just like off the tops of your heads, like no like letterbox searching. Are there any other like storied directors that you think that you've seen all their movies? So I know that was part of the motivation for TJ signing this. Hmm. Tarantino, I've seen everything of. I know I've seen all Tarantino's movies, his directed movies. Yeah. Um, other than that, though, the only one I'm short on for Tarantino is Jackie Brown. I've seen all of Brad Bird's movies, I guess, because I've seen all the Pixar movies and I've seen Iron Giant. Oh, that man gets left. I haven't. Nope, I haven't seen Monsters U. He was that was Brad Bird, right? I don't think so. I don't think so. Is that a lot of a Lassiter? There's somebody Monster. new. Okay. Brad Bird tends to like he'll direct the Toy Stories, and I don't know if he's going to direct the next one or not. Was he the one, or was it Lassiter who got? Lassiter's the one who got. Okay. Yeah, got all the shit allegations. Yeah, probably not. Not a few. It's the top directors ever, Ooh, like missing a ton of Scorsese. Missing a ton of Spielberg for me, especially 80s Spielberg. Spielberg's hard to watch all because he's very prolific. Yeah. Yeah, there's like people like him, Scorsese. I'm never going to yeah. fill that out. I'll yeah. never get close to Woody Allen. God, no. I wouldn't want to watch. I, I watched the Wonder Wheel and I didn't want to watch another Woody like, Allen movie. David goes out and watches all the Woody Allen movies, comes back next week <laughs> just talking like Woody Allen. <laughs> Man, if you. You had to watch. A hundred hours of Woody Allen movies. I think I've probably watched a, as much Woody Allen as anyone just from me trying to get do the uh, Oscar stuff. Yeah, and uh, I was uh, I went through Woody Allen. God, I probably watched like twenty movies of his um, in the last year, and they really start to blend together after a while. I'm sure it is the same. It's it's usually entertaining, but. Never watch. Just it's the worst director to do a marathon on. I remember watching uh, Midnight in Paris, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, and you're know, like, maybe I really like Woody Allen. I'm gonna watch Melinda. Melinda. Anybody seen that movie? Yes. And I've watched it. And I was like, nope. <laughs> Sometimes it turns out like Midnight in Paris is the outlier. Yeah, yeah. it's like Annie Hall and Midnight in Paris are like his two. He had a like, best. I think yeah, 80s I got, is probably his a, best decade. I found a few more. Yeah, it's like Manhattan's really good. Hannah and, and Her Sisters. Yeah, Hannah really and Her good. Sisters is great. Crimes and Misdemeanors is pretty good. So the one where he wakes up in the future, in the cave with all the Sleeper? VWs. Yeah, Sleeper? Sleeper's pretty funny. Um, yeah. There are a lot more. <laughs> there are a lot more. I think I asked that at Trivia one night. It's like, how many films has he directed? God. It's, it's, how old it's, is he? it's, it's one for each year since he started. So that's like, at this point, like, close to seven, not 70, but close to 60. I mean, I think he's in the 60s. It yeah. was like 60. And he, like, for every year he skips, he will do two randomly. Yeah. His first movie is What's Up, Tiger Lily. And that's in, like, the mid-60s, I want to say. 67 mm-hmm. or so. He's just been churning them out. What is his directorial debut? Um, I think I think other, just bringing back to my question, because I'm self-centered, um, it is What's Up, Tiger Lily. Yeah, is I was a, looking at a list of directorial debuts today. Yeah. <laughs> what is a? I think I've seen everything but Mother from Aronofsky. I haven't seen Pie. Um, yeah, I haven't seen Mother, but I've seen everything else. And then, from what I can recall, I think I've seen most of Inuritu because Inuritu's like early work is still like really popular foreign films. Yeah. His um, debut is what? Is it Amoris Paris? Yeah. Yep. Which is a fantastic movie. Nice. It's really good. I've seen all of Charles Lawton's movies. Yeah, I was going to make that joke. Yeah. I've seen all of Greta Gerwig. Ryan Johnson's <laughs> Greta Gerwig. movies, having seen Last Jedi recently. I think we I talk- still haven't seen Brick. 
Really? I'm sure I need to. I just yeah. went and got around to it. It's uh, some, some good Jingo loves. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I've seen all of John Francis Daly's movies that I talked about last podcast. I watched Game Night, and that's oh, know, nice. John Francis Daly's directorial debut, I believe. I've seen both of those guys who directed the John Wick movies. <laughs> I've seen all their movies. But anyway, yeah, I just wanted to ask to see if there's... Yeah, I don't think there's a ton. That seems like an interesting oracle play that you might... I don't know if, if that interests you. The way I definitely gone think down of, an Affleck hole. Definitely think about it when I'm like picking movies for movie night. Yeah, if you could wrap. Y'all up. seen all of uh, Martin McDonough's, right? Yes. It's yes. Just, it's just, just a three. three. Yeah. 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 But anyway, I'm pretty close on Fincher. He's got a. He's got a. What about not seen on Fincher? Maybe I've, I've seen everything. I've only not seen his debut. I think. What's the debut from him? It's Alien Three. Oh, yeah, Alien Three. I think um, I, I think you are missing something on Fincher. That is such a bad directorial debut for such a good director. Yeah. Because then it's seven. Um. Game Fight Club, Panic mm-hmm. Room, Zodiac. Yes, I have seen. Music videos are I've seen all of David Fincher's movies. He should be due this year. Does he have something on the? Docket? Yeah, IMDb says World War Z 2, but that's just announced. Oh, second season of Mindhunter. I don't think he's directing the sequel to World War Z. Yeah, second season of Mindhunter is coming out this year. He's directing the uh, The pilot or the the premiere and the finale of the season. Y'all, uh, y'all ready to draft? Yeah, let's draft. I did a random random order here. Um, So yeah, we're drafting directorial debuts uh, from directors. I'll be the Final Arbiter, but I don't think it'll matter. But uh, pretty wide release feature-length films are available. And you're just drafting for your personal collection. Drafting our favorites. Your favorites. Not the best. You can have your own uh, kind of stance of what you're looking for, and maybe we, you can, we can talk about that at some point. Yeah, like, I'll go ahead and preface. I'm, I'm not going to necessarily just draft my favorite movies that happen to be directorial debuts, because... There are a ton of Pixar and Disney movies that are directorial debuts, and they don't... I want movies that at least feel like they have some sort of director's stamp on them, at mm-hmm. least. Like, that's sort of the only thing I'm going to do. I didn't rule out all animated films, but I ruled out some. Yeah. Like, Lion King is a directorial debut, and if I can't name the director, <laughs> I feel like that's... I don't know. I don't know. I, don't, I definitely didn't go with that rule. There are directors on here I didn't know of until I got the list, but... Yeah, no. I'm directing my favorite movies that happen to be directorial debuts, pretty much. And I'm going first. Surprise, surprise! The fix is Brent, in. Brent can verify. Like refresh, refresh. It's, <laughs> it's me, then David, then Brent, then Chris. Snake drafting. It's played for comical effect. It's me <laughs> dropping my phone on the table. It's not an accident. <laughs> uh, so I'm going first. Yay! Uh, and I'm taking somebody I've seen all the movies of. I'm taking Reservoir Dogs. Quentin Tarantino. Nice. I think it's probably my favorite Tarantino film, even. Hmm. Really like that movie a lot. I rewatched it last year, and it's really, really good. So, it's so good. The Tim Roth bathroom story, the whole, like, the three layers they play in it. Yeah. Where he's telling them the story he's going to tell, then it's him recounting the story later, and then him in the actual moment telling it. It's just really clever. Yeah, and the, the joke scene is so good. Mm. Him rehearsing the joke. Is fantastic. And I do think there's a lot of good directorial elements to that movie too. Yeah. It's filmed really well. 
Yeah, I also love that uh, Quentin Tarantino got complicated, but this is like real stripped down. It's like there was a bank robbery, went wrong, and it's almost single location after that. Yep. Yeah, and the stuff outside is, is, is shot well, but mm-hmm. the, the framing in the warehouse is so good. Um, you really feel, you get a good feel for what that building is and what's how big it is and where everything is in it. You just feel like you've been there before, kind of. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I guess the next time he did anything like that was kind of with Hateful Eight. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But. That I can think of. Yeah. Reservoir Dogs, Tarantino. Great choice. Yeah. Good pick. Now all Tarantino's off the board. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. All right, uh, this one, I had I had narrowed down the list, but this one was fairly easy for me. Just explained where I'm going with it is I'm kind of looking for films that were kind of shot out of the gate as like a statement of work, a future work that like it's amazing to me some of these came fully formed with just a new voice in uh, in direction and a big one for this he doesn't have the biggest uh, biggest portfolio of films but uh, I'm going being John Malkovich Spike Jones great choice a lot of these on my list especially in the 90s and 2000s are like music video directors getting a shot kind of like David Fincher and some other people mm-hmm. and it's just uh, it's nuts to me how confident this debut is for a insane story that he makes really uh, visceral and uh, I feel like I overused visceral <laughs> it's, it's like deeply felt a lot, of, a lot of these characters even though it's like way out there I think he grounds it real well that you, you feel for the desperation of the lead puppeteer like John Cusack like, you feel for the kind of confusion of identity of the Cameron Diaz character. And Catherine Keener is just such a confident, low-key badass in the movie. There's uh, some high difficulty on that movie, too, for a yeah. new director. Some weird shots that he had to create. Yeah. I heard that the people were talking about it in a podcast called The, the Canon. They talk about, like, each week introducing them to a canon. I think we have a copyright <laughs> thing we could go for it. But uh, I think they said, like, it, the movie got, like, moved in between studios, and the executives literally forgot it was happening. <laughs> oh, wow. So Spike Jones was able to, like, do the entire film, almost, with, because uh, it's low-ish budget, with no notes, because they forgot it was even happening. <laughs> Weird. Well, good. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, it's such a unique movie, and right out of the gate, being so confident in your singular voice. Uh, being John Malkovich for me. It's a great cool. And then he went on to do important things like being the other old person in Jackass skits. Brant? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, I kind of want to pick a drama specifically because I didn't. not a lot of dramas made my like shortlist. I think because, uh, I don't know, maybe it just takes directors longer to make their great dramas than it does uh, directors to make great comedies. Because I feel like there's a lot of comedies on this list that are fantastic um i'm going older with mine this is a 1957 directorial debut from sydney lumet 12 angry men that's a great one um just an all-time great drama for me it's just a entertaining movie yeah and if you want to hear us jaw about how much we liked and are surprised by and appreciate sydney lumet's career talked about it a few weeks ago yeah there's there's no one at this table who will hear that pick and go but really yeah 12 angry men yeah 
one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, it's fantastic. a fantastic poster of uh, the knife. I think probably in lots of lists of one of the greatest movies of all time. And I'll say it's another movie that I think it's high on the difficulty scale to have 12 people in a tiny room like that in a single location. They all get time. They all get time. It's all framed where you feel like you're not missing what what's happening. Yeah, it's kind of like in real time and still has like the, uh, you know, the framing of drama and the, you know, the propulsion of a, you know, big drama. When the uh, baseball fan has um, Henry Fonda in the bathroom and he's like, hey man, like, let's get out of here. We're going to go to the ball game. They do, he does a great job of making that bathroom feel so tiny and that guy's like, like, hey, yeah, let's do it. Like bullying him almost. Mm-hmm. Um, but doing that in almost a closet was, was really impressive. I really like inspirational movies too and that movie is just very inspirational because it's just like we're the doing your duty of doing your 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 job regardless of what the outcome is yeah it's yeah. Like speaks to all four of us I know that's a great feel good if you want to feel good about government and all that stuff Mr. Smith goes to Washington too but mm-hmm. not a debut no so for stricken from the record that's my pick. Yeah, back to backs, Chris. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna blend drama and comedy with my first pick, and I am going to take Martin McDonough's In Bruges. It is one of my personal top tens. I just love the way that that movie toes the line between absolutely brutal, disheartening story about you know a hitman's redemption uh, with the like the wild comedy of just. Uh, antipathy that is felt by all characters and you know it's just so nihilistic of a movie that it is comical um, there's there's some great reactions and dialogue Ray Fiennes uh, Colin Farrell Brendan Gleeson kind of an acting trio I never thought I wanted to see together who are just you know electric right in a room um, also plays some good action too um, I don't I've already forgotten your guys picks but I think uh, oh, I guess Tarantino is, is, is good on action, but, you know. Twelve Angry Men is not so good on action. No, it's not a very <laughs> exciting movie visually <laughs> other than cinematography. Um, and then for my second pick, because I want to get him off the board because I love his movies, I'm taking Edgar Wright's Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, I know that's kind of controversial that that's his directorial debut. But his other movie isn't visible anywhere. It's, yeah. The production... He's been saying he wants to release it on DVD for years. Yeah, the, so. the studio kind of canned it right. um, for whatever reason. But I love Shaun of the Dead, and I think that he makes uh, pretty flawless comedies. Really kind of on in his own element, with the exception of Paul. Um, I think just like fantastic movies. And as good as his filmographies is, are, sorry, I think that Shaun of the Dead's probably his best work. Which is crazy. I agree. And then, you know, I have a personal touch for Scott Pilgrim versus the universe. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's really easy to rank highly in all of my favorite movies his, like, five out of six directed movies, like, near the top. The uh, Baby Driver might be my least favorite of his. The walk from the flat to the grocery hmm. before and after yeah. is really, really well done. Yeah. And nothing else feels like a Edgar Wright comedy, too. It would rank really high in my criteria, what I'm looking for. It might have even been my next pick, but right off the scene, just like... Especially his editing and just like his comic voice through not even dialogue or anything, which is pretty rare for comedies. Great pick. Yeah. <laughs> and it's I, I love the way that he pays homage and reference to other things without saying, like that time in that movie where they did that thing. 
Mm-hmm. You know, he, he very subtle homages to his film inspirations. Yeah. But anyway, Edgar Wright's Shaun of the Dead. Nice. Excellent pick. First pick of the second round. Uh, for my second pick, you know, you made mention of the fact that 12 Angry Men is not very, you know, visual in its uh, nature. So I'm definitely going to correct that with my, my pick. It's a 2011. I think 2011? No, it's probably it's more recent than that. It's like 2014, maybe. Um, I think this guy was a novelist before he was a movie director. Alex Garland and his film Ex Machina is my pick. Great, and, uh, great that's debut. a really great debut movie. Science fiction, uh, it's probably my favorite debut that is science fiction in that in that category. It's my favorite movie of the year that year. Huge fan of X Machina. Yeah, that's great. Really great. Uh, we're picking a lot of movies too. Though. I feel like I keep I've said this twice, so I know we've, we're doing it a lot. But the uh, the like starting difficulty is high for a lot of these films. Yeah, yeah. That's, X that's Machina for to be a debut. That's a that's really impressive. It's I've seen lots of directorial Netflix, achievement. For lots sure. of Netflix trash from not from like the sixth or seventh movie where someone tries to tackle a difficult subject like Ex Machina mm-hmm. and just like fall on its face. Yeah. Yeah. David. Yep. My next pick again, going off of kind of coming fully formed with a unique director's vision. It doesn't get much more unique than 1977's Eraserhead. David Lynch. Nice. He basically starts and creates his own genre of like the horror of the of just weirdness. Um, it's kind of not really horror; it's surrealistic, and um, that kind of movie can kind of go bad uh, student film if you really get you know pretentious about it. And it, it a lot of David Lynch can be flirting with pretension, but it's. Uh, I don't know. It's it's hard to even talk about it because it's so strange. But uh, again, the the confidence in putting that to screen and and connecting all those nightmarish visions, it really does feel like his movies are connected by dream logic. I mean, he really just paved his own lane starting with that movie. Nothing else really feels like Eraserhead. It was one of those movies where, on the as I was looking through the list, I, I saw that and I thought, oh man, I wish I'd seen that movie so I could know if I want to pick it or not. Yeah, I narrowed down to just the ones yeah, I saw, yeah. which. You know, uh, ruled out a whole bunch that would be. Right. Yeah, I definitely am not drafting anything I hadn't seen. It'd be a weird thing with your favorites. <laughs> um, that would, I don't know that that would be like the quintessential like movie lovers' choice. It's like I've seen a bunch of movies. I want to see new things. Yeah, <laughs> true. Uh, on to me for a couple of picks. Yeah, right. I think Reservoir Dogs is going to be my oldest film after I make these two picks. Uh, so I'm taking a couple. One is a 99 debut. Um, really good movie. And I think for the last like 20 minutes of the movie, it is some of the uh, prettiest camera work uh, is it in the I had seen at the time. It is not in the talk of fame. Oh, okay. Um, but it's Sam Mendez's debut in American Beauty. Yep, I had that on my short list. Yeah. <laughs> you said 99. I just went ahead and wrote down American yeah. Beauty for you. Yeah, that uh, that last shot, pretty much starting with uh, Lester and Chris Cooper before Lester's demise, mm-hmm. on to the uh, almost like Wes Anderson style camera work with uh, her in the closet holding on to all of his clothes, freaking out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like centered, and you just had to stare at her for so long, kind of losing her mind. It was really well done. It's what was crazy it? that he was basically just he directed plays was pretty much it before that. Yeah. 
And, you know, some people get real stagey, like, uh, I know we're fans of Doubt, but that guy basically just filmed the play mm. in, a, in an interesting way. Right. You know, same with uh, Joe Wright, who did, like, Atonement and stuff. His stuff kind of feels like plays somewhat because mm-hmm. he came from that. Yeah. But, yeah, biggest thing about Sam Mendes and this following films is how visually stylish they are. Kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah, and he's one of my favorite movies of the aughts is uh, Away We Go, which is another Sam mm-hmm. Mendes movie with Maya Rudolph and... Um, John Krasinski. Um, so I'm a big fan of that director, although I think people would maybe think he kind of fell off after American Beauty, but I'm a Mendez fan. Um, and then after that, I'm moving on to a 2009 movie that is also in my top ten of the odds. Maybe my favorite. It was my favorite of 2009, I believe. Um, but it's Neil Blomkamp's debut in District 9. Nice. Um uh, I don't think I've gone into a movie think I had some friends from high school that highly recommended District 9 to me when it was in theaters and they are not the best people to trust for movie reviews these people so I kind of went in thinking it was going to be a little rough I had seen a couple of scenes at the drive-in like action it looked like robots shooting up stuff and I really didn't know what it was and then when I saw it finally I was just blown away um, mainly with the story but the like documentary style filming in the beginning is just really, I don't know. It's a great start for yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course all the, you know, apartheid mirroring is really well done. Yeah, doesn't feel like it's hit me over the head too much. And have you seen Chappie? Yeah, it's another thing. I like Neil Blomkamp. Yeah. I'm a I'm a fan of Chappie. I think Chappie's a great movie. I recommend it to literally anybody. If you like District Nine, I don't know why you wouldn't want to give it a full go. Yeah. It's a slow start, but it's a great movie. It's that's, good. I was making a joke because you harassed me for days to watch Chappie. Yeah, because <coughs> I think you'd like it. Yeah, <laughs> is all. But uh, yeah, so District Nine starts off round three. Cool. David. Okay, with my uh, third round pick, I'm gonna go uh, uh, another movie that's kind of at the forefront of the indie scene, kind of taking over um, cinema and like the next wave of directors all coming through. I'm going to go Steven Soderbergh, Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Nice. Again, it's a uh, strange-for-the-time movie, but very um, adult, not in terms of, like, sexual content, but uh, adult look at just these these characters with uh, interesting backgrounds and relationships and introducing us to Steven Soderbergh, where there's nev- not really, like, unlike my other movies, there's not really a great genre thematic element running through all this stuff. Just kind of... Uh, I don't know, you can kind of feel a touch sometimes, either with, he edits all of his own movies, and they're all kind of put together really well, they all move really well, his stories are all over the all over the board, genre all over the board, but uh, again, a very confident debut, um, great acting, I think he, he doesn't get enough credit for um, how he directs acting, mm-hmm. some great performances in that, you know, James Spader being a weirdo, who knew, <laughs> in that movie. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, I, I highly recommend it. It's really ahead of its time for being in, like, 1988 or 89. It feels like it could have come out ten years later and still been, like, uh, you know, talked about. Right. right. Fun, fun pick. My pick. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, I'm going comedy here on, uh, on this, and... Um, it's tough for me to choose, but I'm going with a uh, directing team that uh, we're always working together, and it's uh, Zucker Abrams Zucker, or is it Abrams Zucker Abrams? 
I always get mixed up which one there's two of. But, uh... <laughs> two Zuckers. Yeah, Zucker Abrams, Zucker. And, uh, the movie is Airplane. Um, one of my all-time favorite comedies. And just immediately establish their their tone of comedy right out of the gate. Yeah. That they spent an entire career trying to redo. And, uh... With, you know, some degree of success, but I don't think it was ever quite as funny as Airplane. So. Right. I'm a huge fan of Airplane. I've been a fan of that movie since I was a kid. That's it's top two comedy all time for me, for sure. That's a top five for movies I still have never seen. I don't know. Blind spots. It's pure it's, silliness. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is It is a good, silly comedy, though. It'd be such an uh, enjoyable, uh, you know, blind spot to take down rather than like Schindler's List as a blind right. spot. <laughs> right. It feels a really kind of ahead of its time, and that's one reason that it's. There's a joke, sir. They hold up, which is wild. Yeah. Kind of in the same way that like Doctor Strange loves jokes hold up. Like, there are yeah. some things that's like. Like a Doctor Strange level, he was yelling at the guy for kicking the Coke machine. Like, you're going to have to answer the Coca-Cola company of Atlanta, Georgia. It's like, who put that in the movie? It's hilarious, but why? But it's like, an airplane, my favorite recurring bit is like, pick a hell of a day to quit methamphetamines. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? It's fantastic for 19, what, 80? Yeah. Yeah, 1980. Chris. All right. In my first pick, from first of the back-to-back picks, uh, I'm going to take 1968. Uh, it's old for you. Night of Living Dead. Uh, uh, George Romero, directorial good. debut. Um, kind of the genesis of a genre. Not actually, there are a couple like Italian movies that came before, but mm-hmm. you know, really kind of setting off the low budget, high drama uh, horror movie. <clears throat> which um, I just love that movie. That is another movie where like the effects will still stand up despite it being 1968 and pretty shoestring budget. And uh, who doesn't love a good zombie com, uh, not comedy, but drama um, and horror movie? Uh, and it fits right in, snuggled up next to Shaun of the Dead um, <clears throat> on my list. Uh, That's two of the dead movies now that you have, like, like you said. Yeah. Yep. And my last one is going to be uh, Sam Raimi. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, and then for my final pick, first of the fourth round... Uh, I'm really kind of going back and forth and we'll probably change this fast tomorrow or in an hour but uh, just looking at his whole filmography which I know is not what we're picking I, I can't stray that far away from my boy in your YouTube hmm. um, Amoris Paris is a phenomenal film if you haven't seen it who here hasn't seen it at the table okay so, so the uh, so we the raised our hands sorry. me and TJ <laughs> raised our hands just so Listener, I forgot that there's a, <laughs> we drank a little while. I forgot there's a fifth entity that participates in this podcast. <laughs> me and Brent had a few beverages. So the brothers over here have both seen it. It's just a, it's a really great, really sad drama about. It's a three separate vignettes about kind of this dog fighting and stealing and trafficking ring and how it affects the lives of these three people. And it's really good. And he makes two of my favorite movies, also Beautiful and Babel. Um, I think Beautiful is my favorite movie of 2014. 2014, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and The Revenant was phenomenal. I just love Inuritu's career. And uh, with that, uh, I'm out. Nice. <laughs> it's, it's highly, I'll co sign a recommendation. It is pretty heart wrenching, but uh, it never loses the human touch of uh, you know impact on all these characters. And it's got Gael Garcia Bernal in the early role. He's super. Free mama. Super charismatic. Yeah. That's a very, like, I don't know, he's one of those directors where it's just like, 
Like, just sign me up for whatever is next. I mean, all three of them, really. Of the yeah. Mexican Trinity Del Toro, Cuaron, yeah. too. Like, I'm just on board for whatever now. They've, they've all beyond proven themselves. Yeah. <laughs> so, is it back to you, Briant? Yeah, so I've got inspiration, I've got comedy, and I've got uh, visual stylings um, on my list so far. I think... Ah, boy, it's a tough. This is this is a very tough pick for me. Um, tempted to just go comedy again, but I won't. Um, hmm. Oh fuck it, I will. Caddyshack. I'm taking Caddyshack from Harold Ramis. Nice. Nice. You love Caddyshack. I love Caddyshack. Yeah, that's just a delightful movie. I love Harold Ramis. <laughs> My favorite part of that entire movie is Ronnie Dangerfield. I he think is great. He is amazing in it. He is, steals every scene he's in. And a movie that I think is not severely overrated, but overrated a little. Uh, he is a shining star in that movie. He's mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't... You've seen the movie way more than me. Are there any like achievements directorially that jump out at all in there? Or is it just a straight... He does some, like, like Judd Apatow's 40-Year-Old Virgin is his first... But, like, I don't know what I would talk about not that you have to I was just wondering you no know, this was that... a, I think the this the, the nicest thing that he does for Caddyshack is that he gives he has so much comedic talent on hand mm-hmm. and he makes sure they all get their their moments and their yeah. time three like superstars at the time too yeah, Chevy Chase the, and Bill Murray and Dangerfield you saw the documentary about that whole crew right I saw the Netflix original movie and it seems like there is a talent to corralling that much Comedic ego chaos. Uh, being like a baseball manager. It's under, <laughs> yeah, it's underrated. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. So, Good choice. We talk about it every like Oscar who should win, but like there's a lot that goes into directing. Mm-hmm. Just a ton of, ton of shit. That's the, yeah. That's the same year as Airplane. That, like that's a that's a great year for comedy. <laughs> if you like to laugh, it's 1980. Yeah. David, what you got? Dang, I forgot we were doing four. This <laughs> <laughs> is very tough. Your list is incredibly long. It's incredibly long. Maybe I'll get some uh, some play. We'll do some also considered, and I can exhale. I'm going to do one that I think probably not a lot of people have seen. And again, it's a debut that's extremely confident. It's a you know brand new voice in English cinema. It is, uh, I think it's in the 90s, like 96? No, it's before that. It's 93. It's uh, Shallow Grave, Danny Boyle's first movie. Nice. Anyone seen it? I've not. Okay. No. <laughs> we have a hand being raised. <laughs> but it's a it's a fun kind of crime movie. It's got Ewan McGregor before Train Spotting. It's like uh, three friends all find a uh, briefcase with money on a dead body, and then they hide the briefcase. And what I can only be described as like a Danny Boyle movie happens. It's because <laughs> it's like a, it's part noir because you know you find a briefcase full of money and it like splits everybody apart. But it's also, it's super funny, and the soundtrack is great, and it's just like, even though it's just three friends in a flat, and kind of like paranoia starts to creep into it, it's super electric in a such a boilish way. Hmm. That's the third straight movie you've drafted that I've never seen. Ah! Nice. Oh no. It's time. Time to close out the draft. Round four, pick four. Yeah. I've got I've got a few choices Mr. here. Mr. Irrelevant. I pull yeah. I uh 
straight away from a lot of animated movies. We talked about that before the draft started, but I think I'm going to pick one here. I do think it has more direction than the other ones felt like anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm taking 1999's The Iron Giant. Brad Bird's very told debut. Um, up to that point, he had written Batteries Not Included and had been an uncredited animator for a few Disney films. Um, for that to be his first go as an animator and a writer and a director, uh, that movie's so pretty yeah. for a classically drawn animated film. Yeah. And uh, the lighting in that movie just feels natural, especially when you first meet the giant and like shots of the giant looking over... Um, like these rolling hills of wherever they are, Northern California, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, just really, really well done. Really pretty animation that seemed different from a lot of the things I was seeing at the time. Um, Great pick. Especially following up, like Toy Story and Toy Story 2 and Bugs Life had all come out already. And to get that jump back to classic animation was really nice. The Only the second movie where I have, I've still not seen it also. Oh, uh, really? It's fantastic. But uh, I'm going to jump in with a few that, that weren't picked, and then we can go around and do that. Do you want to do the rundown? Do you want to do the recount? Yeah, first? so our, our rosters are uh, TJ has Reservoir Dogs, American Beauty, District 9, and The Iron Giant. Solid. David has Bing John Malkovich, Eraserhead, Sex Lies and Videotape, and Shallow Grave. I'll take your word for it. It's <laughs> <laughs> a, a weird night of movies. <laughs> I drafted 12 Angry Men, Ex Machina, Airplane, and Caddyshack. That's fun. That's much more fun than yours. <laughs> and Chris has In Bruges, Shaun of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead, and Amoris Paris. That's a fun Which night. Which might stink I was going to say, that night's going to be all about sequencing those yeah. movies. You're going to have to carefully structure those. I've seen Amoris Paris a few times. I'm sure if I watched it again, I would still cry. Like the first time I saw it. I'm glad you said cry. <laughs> if you just said nightmares, just laugh at all the dog fighting. <laughs> I would just make my dog fight another one. There are a few things that I wanted to, to talk about that didn't get drafted. I'm sure we all have a couple. Um, I can unclench if we can finally. A few of mine. Uh, <laughs> this one was a one-off. It is a five-star movie. It is one of my favorite horror movies. Um, but The Night of the Hunter, Charles Lawton, we've talked about that. Yeah. Previous podcast. Technically, this is his debut, but he quit directing immediately. But it is a perfect movie. Uh, John Huston's The Maltese Falcon was his yeah. debut. It's crazy. That that Fantastic movie. movie. Yeah, really good. Um, a couple of weird ones that I really didn't know were debuts. Uh, this guy's got his second movie coming out at the end of this year called A Night at the X Royale or something like that. It's Drew Goddard. His debut was The Cabin in the Woods, Cabin in the Woods. which is directed really well. Some of the shots in the underground bunker are fantastic with the video screens in the back. It's really good. Uh, I didn't know this until doing prep for this, but Frank Darabont. Shawshank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his yeah. directorial debut of the Shawshank Redemption. He's kind of made a career out of uh, Stephen King <laughs> yeah, adaptations. <laughs> and there were a few that were notable directors that I had on my list where I just didn't think the movies quite cut it. Um this is Final Tap, Rob Reiner's directorial debut. I know the, the brothers aren't big fans. But I, I came close to drafting that. So. Uh, I'm a big fan, although it's probably my least favorite of his movies, of Bottle Rocket, Les yeah. Anderson's debut. Yeah, for me, that's my least favorite. It's my least favorite. Uh, Judd Apatow's 40-Year-Old Virgin is still weird to me that that was his directorial debut. Like, Well, it's because he directed so much TV before right. that was like critically yeah. acclaimed. It's like Mitch Hurwitz, when he directs a movie, it's like, well, we've seen tons of Hurwitz. Uh, Richard Kelly's like Donnie Darko 
yeah. is a ballsy choice to just jump into something with that yeah. fucking movie. I still don't understand. It. I don't know what happened. <laughs> Um, and there's some fun ones that we're never getting drafted, but I put on my list just so we could talk about them. Uh, Spurlock launched a career with Super Size Me. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a household name now. And that was his first doc. Uh, Tom Hanks' directorial debut in That Thing You Do is fun. And uh, when you said you were drafting a team, I thought you might be drafting uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah, it just, it, I, I almost drafted him, but it just, it it didn't quite feel right. Like, it was just, it's, you get what I'm saying? Yeah, like, that's the more reason I didn't too. different. Like, yeah. I was thinking of Terry Gilliam, like, Launching his career, but that's like such a different lane than like the rest of his genre yeah. goes. Yeah, right. Yeah. Also, the 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 pair who directed the first John Wick movie, was, yeah, was a tempting choice. Yeah, I had them. I kind of have a category of too soon. I had them in there. Um, I don't want to talk about anyone else in that category. That's what happened with the Drew Goddard <laughs> pick. I really soon. wanted to pick it, but it's still his only movie. Yeah, but the movie coming up has I forget who was in it now. I had three movies that were uh, directorial debuts in the last like two or three years. Actually, three from last year, which were Get Out, Lady Bird, and Columbus. Um, Coconaga. Yeah. Nada. I had uh, another comedy pair is the Farrelly Brothers, who uh, started with Dumb and Dumber. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a good great, start for them. That's a great yeah. debut. They've never gotten back to that. And then I almost uh, almost took... Just because I, I'm looking forward to spending more time with this movie at some point down the road. But uh, Truffaut's debut, uh, 400 Bloods. Yeah, I had that on, on mine. I couldn't pick between that and uh, Breathless. Breathless is one. Jean-Luc Godard. As, yeah. your, as your heady pick? As like, yeah, my uh, heady pick, but like representing the new French wave. Yeah. Real influential. I also had on here, like, Orson Welles, Citizen Kane. It's kind of like pointless to even talk about. You know, it's such a scholarly type movie at this point. Yeah. I thought you guys would make fun of me. <laughs> I would have. <laughs> um, I thought this might have come up, but Mel Brooks is the producers. Super funny and super, you know, his own voice shaped a lot of, I think, movies you guys love. Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles and whatnot. It's also mm-hmm. one of those ones where it's, it's probably on the bottom tier of the movies he's directed. So it's hard to take that one as a... Oh, I love the producers. I think it's a, it's a, it's near the top for me, but it's... it's Honestly, middle of the road for me. Didn't consider it because I missed it on the list. Nice. <laughs> Probably wouldn't have made it, but had some comedy people here. Adam McKay with Anchorman. I just love a lot of his uh, movies. His Step Brothers is still probably my favorite. I know he did The Big Short. I think uh, Brent's a big big fan of that. I, mm-hmm. I liked it. Um, also, uh, John Hughes. Sixteen um, Candles. Sixteen Candles. Yeah. Great movie. Kind of started a new, not new genre, but. I don't know, perfected a genre. Guy Ritchie, <laughs> he really carved out his own lane with Lockstock. That's fully... Uh, Guy Ritchie's got like two, yeah. maybe three great movies, and then like four like fucking awful movies. <laughs> <laughs> He's such a hard director to get behind. Yeah. I almost picked Ryan Johnson's Brick. Um, it's just nothing, it's else, nothing else he did what I've heard. is really like that at all. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a genre exercise. What I like about him is that he's mm-hmm. directed like, what, four movies and they're completely different? I think he's... Five. Five. Oh, I, I thought I saw all the movies. I still haven't seen Looper. I need to see Looper. What oh, Looper? It was funny because because when we joke around about about you and movies, we talk about how you love the movie Looper and we don't understand it. <laughs> and then it always has to take me a couple seconds to be like, no, he's just gotten it on DVD and then gotten it on Blu-ray, but still hasn't seen it. Well, I'll, I'll get around to it. It um, <laughs> want a low-key director where I've seen all of his films, Tom McCarthy, who did Spotlight. 
yeah. I really loved Station Agent when it came out. Yeah, it was introduced really good. us to um, Dinklage. Dinklage. It's a great uh, kind of low key movie. And nice. the last one I'll talk about is still, I think, is his only movie, but it's so out there and so confident. Ben Zeitlin, Beast of the Southern Wild. Yeah, he's uh, he didn't have anything like on the docket even. No, it's just crazy that that movie happened, came out, was like the awards Critical phenomenon. Darling. And yeah. then, like, I guess... Uh, just went back into the swamps. Of yeah. <laughs> Southern Louisiana. Receded back into a swamp thing. Yeah. Well, that was a fun game. I like that draft. Yeah. I struggle with lots of drafts, and I didn't do any preparation, so I've got no, like, I missed out on this person. Um, I did miss a few, though, like when Brent drafted 12 of your man, I was like, phew, I'm glad somebody did, because I missed it. <laughs> Yeah, I actually when you sent us that list that you had compiled, it wasn't on there. Yeah, I was, I was like, hmm, I think this one fell through the cracks for TJ a little bit. So yeah. I went, I went hunting for Romero. I didn't get that on your list. Yeah, <clears throat> but I was oh. taking, I was taking Reservoir first anyway. Fun yeah. draft, fun draft. Fuck so, y'all. <laughs> well, Brent, you got homework queued up for next week. I do have homework queued up for next week. Uh, Great. For this just is for just me. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, this is uh, for TJ. Maybe David. And optional for David. Um, I, I won't be here the next two weeks, so... So I'm actually picking a directorial debut for uh, Homework. Oh, fun. From 1973. Um, and I kind of want the... Uh, our topic's going to be directors or actors or anything that you've... That are well-liked, but you just haven't been able to get into. For right. whatever reason. And this director has always been... I know he's well-loved, and for me, I've just never been able to get into his work. And it's Terrence Malick's Badlands. God damn it, Brett. <laughs> Make me watch Terrence Malick. I was laughing. I was but making it's a, fun of... It's a serial killer movie. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just funny. I was making fun of uh, the film spotting guys the other day when they were like talking about how they love Tree of Life. And I was like, that's anybody love Tree of Life. Like, who comes out of Tree of Life? And they're like, that movie was awesome. <laughs> The best you can say about it is like I finished Tree of Life. <laughs> yeah. I, tell, I joked with DJ. I said that I want to go to like a screening of... Uh, Tree of Life now with like and get the largest tub of popcorn and like a sixty ounce soda and just <laughs> throughout the entire movie just uh, I don't know disrespect it. Okay, we look forward to Badlands. Yeah. Uh, so this was Talky Talk podcast for the media by us. Please visit the site and see our stuff. Connect with us on uh, at the media by us on Twitter and the media by us at gmail.com Facebook pages and the groups movies by us TV by us games by us. Uh, love to hear from you and things you can do to help us are subscribe to the podcast give us a rating and send us money I want to say thanks to Willow Walkers for providing intro music Willow Walkers and thanks to Boo Reaper for the outro music <laughs> thanks to you guys for listening and thanks to you guys for being here bye 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 so um, <laughs> Drew Goddard's next movie is 